There they go again. The sort of things I worry about at three in the morning, before the howler monkeys start their dawn chorus. Things like the state of the planet, Cliff's blood pressure, and, if the doctor's not there anymore, who's saving the world from alien invasions on Fridays? The trouble is, we're not at home, not halfway up the Rio Negro at the Institute of Mycology, and it's five past two in the afternoon. Oh, I hate hotels. The air's dry and the staff have meaningless automatic smiles. Cliff says I should have stayed at home. But you know me, I couldn't miss the climate conference. And anyway, it's ages since I was last in London. So, here we were, Professor Clifford Jones, MBE, Nobel Prize winner, veteran eco-warrior, with Mrs Jones, his manager. <laughs> That's me. And our slogan, Make the future yourselves. All geared up for the chat show circuit. And then, and only I could manage this, I go and get Montezuma's revenge here in London. So I'm laid up in the hotel while Cliff single-handedly harangues the UN's World Future Conference about the imminent collapse of the Amazon forest. Not that they'll take any notice, of course. So, with nothing better to do, I'm catching up with my blog. If I ramble, I'm just delirious. I was thinking back to when I was stationed here with Unit and the Brigadier and the Doctor. Don't ask me where time goes. The Doctor tried explaining once, but in those days I was a bit of a lost cause. Now, if he'd only explained why alien encounters always happened on Fridays, which really annoyed the brigadier, because I kept missing my weekly training course, and he wanted value for his money. The doctor suggested changing it to Tuesdays, but he called it spy school, which was wrong. Miss Grant, you're not a secret agent, my training officer kept saying. You're a data-gathering operative trained for the maximization of information in an operational scenario. Whatever that means, muttered the doctor, sounds like a waste of unit money if you ask me. I didn't ask, doctor, the brigadier said. Rationalization, that's what Geneva wants. Miss Grant needs to learn about surveillance and intelligence work. Thanks, I said. You see, I told you, spy school, and with a wink to me, the doctor went back to his experiments, and the brigadier stomped off to his office. After that, Mike Yates called me Jemima Bond, licensed to spill, and everyone laughed. Now I know he was teasing, but that really got to me. Just because I was 18 and in civvies and a girl. So, right, I thought, I'll show them. I'll make them eat their words. And that's when all the trouble started. And I did take things much too much to heart in those days. That's something else that worries me. Anyway, one Friday morning, I was in a flap, already late for my training day. I popped into the lab, looking for some notes I'd lost, and the doctor burst out of the police box he kept in the corner, a bit like a whirlwind in a frilly shirt. <laughs> and he was rattling on about some temporal disturbance he'd picked up. Blue shifting, he called it. Come on, Joe. We have to go now. 
Oh, right, I said, mystified as usual. Retrocausation, he lectured. Events before their cause, time in reverse. And he waved a little beeping box with a flashing light as if that proved it. Well, I said, you explained to the brigadier about me missing another training day, but it didn't wash. Joe, these signals mean serious disruption in the flow of the time stream, and you're going off on some useless role-playing exercise. Now, which is more important, eh? Okay, I said with a shrug. So off we went in Bessie instead. Well, charging round London in a bright yellow jalopy was miles better than being stuck in a classroom. It took about three hours to locate the source of the signals. The doctor finally scrunched Bessie to a halt outside the National Museum in Bloomsbury and didn't even wait while I fed ten peas into the meter. So I had to run to catch up. I don't think the doctor's ever done incognito. He marched into the museum, cape flapping, with the blue shift detector going crazy and only stopped once beside a glass case containing some ancient Egyptian mummy that he said he used to know. And for a moment... He looked quite sad. Then he was off again. Doors marked private only provoked him. But one thing I had learned was you can go anywhere if you have a clipboard. So I did, and it usually worked. The signal soon led us to a door marked Professor Harold Sanders, director of Anomalous Artifacts. The professor, a tweedy old academic, was obviously taking a lunchtime nap when the doctor burst in. Who the hell are you? he spluttered and scooped a pile of papers over a tin of chocolate biscuits he plainly didn't want us to see. But before I could introduce us, the doctor weighed in with, Professor Sanders, I have reason to believe you are harbouring a source of dangerous and disruptive energy. Sanders blinked at the device the doctor was waving round his cluttered office. You're after my work, aren't you? Don't pretend you're not. You're not the first. Work, said the doctor. Some sort of experiment? Please, Professor, I tried to slide in between them. We've come to help. The doctor, he was concerned. And I smiled sweetly. Weren't you, Doctor? The doctor looked awkward and rubbed the back of his neck. Yes, yes, of course. Funny way to show it, grumbled Sanders. So the doctor made a show of switching off and pocketing the device. When I'd introduced us properly and asked about his work, Sanders just shrugged. Unit? What's that? Why should I tell you? No one else believes me. Everyone thinks I'm mad. The doctor smiled. My dear professor, people rarely appreciate the nature of true genius. Sanders polished his glasses and squinted hard at him. Flattery will get you nowhere, Doctor. Do you believe in ghosts? Because I don't. But that doesn't seem to stop the little horrors. Ghosts, I blurted out. The Professor nodded. Small, with a blue glow, crawling like children, even up the shelves. Like old-fashioned china dolls, I said. And they both stared at me particularly the doctor. Good heavens, young lady, Sanders exclaimed. You're the first person not to scoff. Yes, just like dolls with those outsized nodding heads. 
except one which looks like a teddy bear. <laughs> so am I mad? And how do you know about them? I felt awkward. It hadn't been a guess. It was as if I had already known. The doctor settled himself in a comfy chair. In my experience, Professor, ghosts tend to be linked to a place or an event. And why are they pestering me? Oh, and they speak backwards, too. I worked that out myself. Backwards, said the doctor. Professor, I think we're in great danger. It's no ordinary infestation of ghosts we've got here. Something's drawing them in. It's disrupting the flow of time itself. He nodded at a little safe wedged high on a shelf. Its door was open. It's possible your intruders are after exactly the same thing that brought us here. What nonsense. Sander's hand shifted towards the pile of papers hiding the biscuit tin. But the doctor was quicker. Fishing out his blue shift detector, he waved it over the pile. There was a whoomph of energy. Papers fountained up and the tin rattled as if something large was trying to escape. How dare you! This is mine! The professor tried to snatch the tin away, but the doctor already had a grip. As they struggled, the lid pushed off. There, inside, was a hand-sized lozenge of brown glass, flickering with red and blue light, like a wedge of Christmas pudding flaming with brandy. You've activated it! Sanders had forgotten his argument. What did you do? I'd been trying for weeks, and he poked the object with a pencil. I wonder what it does. It's been waiting, said the doctor. We just answered its call. The professor glanced at the window as if he was expecting something. And how could you know that? Who have you been talking to? My dear chap, sighed the doctor... This object is dangerously unstable. It's mine, he declared, his old hands trembling. You may have found it, but it's certainly not yours. I need to run some tests at my laboratory. Oh, no! Sanders clung to the tin, pushing back the lid. And claim all the glory for yourself? Professor, I said, I'm sure the doctor means to assist your research. The old man glanced at the window again. No, I won't part with it. And you can clear off too. Go on, who did you say sent you? I shall be making a formal complaint. I knew the doctor was up for a right old Barney, but I tugged at his sleeve and managed to drag him outside. I hope you won't regret this, Professor, he called as the door slammed in our faces. I thought we should leave the museum right then, but the doctor stood in the corridor, studying his blue shift detector. Its readings were going crazy. I can call the brigadier, I suggested. If that thing's dangerous, then he can impound it. The doctor shook his head. No, the last thing I need is half a platoon peering over my shoulder. I never get a chance to run my own tests. What sort of tests, I said. So then he got all cagey. Just a few private checks, he said. And incidentally, 
How did you know about the ghosts? I... I don't know, I stuttered. And then a voice cut in from amongst the exhibits. Ghosts mean different things to different people. The sort of voice that sticks with you, and you wouldn't argue with the owner either. I think everything she wore was home-knitted. Well, apart from the bangles and the crystals. Her long hair was all salt and peppery, which meant she hadn't even been young when she started out as a hippie. I knew there'd be others after the tablet. What's that old crook Sanders promised you? Is he trying to sell my property? Because that's what it is. Mine. Yours, said the doctor. And where did you find it? And she said, it found me. As if that was obvious. Not that it's any business of yours. Of course, that just got the doctor started. Madam, I intend to make it very much my business. It's Mrs. She snapped and then added... Typical establishment attitudes. Did you see it? Does Sanders have the tablet with him now? Oh, yes, said the doctor. A singularly dangerous object. And very much alive it is too. Alive? In what way? Alive? She'd gone as white as a sheet... All flickering with a sort of fire, I said. The doctor thinks it's calling for help. The doctor? That's right, he said, turning on the charm. Mrs. Um, perhaps you can tell us how you came by the tablet. You see, I think it's exceedingly dangerous. She met his gaze, and for a moment I thought he'd won her trust. You're after it as well. Well, you can't be right all the time. There was a crash from the professor's office. The doctor turned and ran. No! He threw open the door, tripped on something and went sprawling as a blaze of white light arced out over him. I turned the corner and saw the professor slumped over his desk. Climbing on the shelves were three little ghosts flaring with halos of blue light. They had clothes like the fancy old stuff you could pay a fortune for down the King's Road. When they saw me, they all went. It was really freaky. The doctor started picking himself up, but the woman barged past. She was talking backwards, too. The little ghosts were clustered round the safe, and the professor had been right. One of them was a teddy bear. They were the ghosts of toys. And below them, for an instant, I saw a shape lying on the floor. I didn't recognise it at first. A young woman in clothes like mine. And then I knew. It was me. Me, with my face staring flat against the lino... I thought I looked really dead. You know, horrible. And then the vision was gone. And I shuddered like someone had walked over my grave. The woman was shaking the professor, who didn't react at all. Madam, call them off, protested the doctor. He took the professor's wrist and looked thoughtful. I'm sorry. He's not alive. Never mind him. Where is it? And all the toys turned angrily. They were crawling towards us, staring with hard enamel eyes. And then they stopped. Retrievers! 
The toys jumped up into her arms and she ran from the room. As the doctor tried to grab her, a dog the size of a pony ran backwards out of the wall. Backwards, followed by another. They were bathed in blue light, casting to and fro as if searching. Joe, don't move, whispered the doctor as the dogs loped backwards past me and stopped. Their ugly, battered faces were only inches from mine. They had no eyes and looked as if they'd just been in a fight. They sniffed slobbery sniffs. And then, uninterested, backed away, turning their attention to the doctor. He held out the blue shift device for them to snuffle at. They yelped and it gave a crackle of energy. Then they snuffled it and went running backwards out through the door. See what I mean about events in reverse, said the doctor. I was still trembling. But what were they looking for? Don't worry, Joe. They couldn't hurt you. Our timelines were just passing like ships in the night. But I was thinking about myself, lying lifeless on the floor. And were the dogs after the tablet too? The doctor peered at the professor slumped on the desk. I think we'd better call the police, don't you? We spent a couple of hours helping the police with their inquiries. The assumption was that the professor died of a heart attack. Don't mention the ghosts, said the doctor, or the tablet, which seemed to have vanished anyway. Finally, I managed to ring Unit HQ, and the brigadier pulled some strings to get us released. You can guess what sort of mood he was in. And then we drove back to HQ... And I didn't see the doctor until the next morning. Units London HQ used to be round the corner from this hotel, so Cliff and I went to look. But it's turned into an embassy for one of those new East European states. The window of the doctor's lab, which he blew out at least three times with his experiments, now has bars and a CCTV camera watching the street. So different from the days when unit was new and staffed by regular army, grudgingly loaned by the MOD. I didn't go into the lab until about eleven. Well, it was Saturday, but the doctor was there, hunched over his workbench. He'd been working all night, because he hadn't changed his clothes at all. Sitting in a vice was a piece of the tablet. It's broken, he said. It was under the professor... It must have shattered when that build-up of temporal energy discharged and killed him. I thought I'd better look after it. He meant he'd pocketed the pieces when no one was looking. It looked dead enough now, but he'd wired it up to various contraptions, all humming in a monitoring sort of way. It's a conduit, Joe, he said. A side door linked to a parallel universe where time travels in the opposite direction to ours. Its future is our history. Right, I said, and thought about going back to bed again. Well, that's my theory anyway, he went on. But to analyse it properly, I need a whole range of extra equipment and to find that woman from the museum. No, Doctor. The brigadier was standing behind us, bristling with irritation. You've wasted enough of Unit's time and money on outlandish projects already. And he scowled at me, too. I'd hardly call it a waste, 
bristled the doctor back. But that didn't stop the brig. You don't have to account to Geneva. From now on, I'm barring all private missions. I want more cooperation, Doctor, and you can start by filling in these. He dumped a stack of papers onto the workbench. Your tax returns. You're a British citizen now, so I'd like these filled in by Monday. Thank you. I doubt as the doctor exploded. He and the brig were barking away like two howler monkey males jockeying for authority in spring. So I palmed the blue shift device from the bench and slipped out. I had a private mission of my own. You see, that morning I'd woken up knowing that the name of the museum woman was Killibrew. It was like the doll thing. I knew as if I'd known for ages... And even spookier, when I looked in the phone book, there was Killybrew's Toy Hospital in Sago Street, not far from the museum. As I sneaked out of the building, a voice said, Going somewhere, miss? It was Sergeant Benton, off duty and looking quite snazzy in his cord jacket and purple flares. Well, he was always a bit of a sweetie and quite keen at times. So I let him run me across town in his new Allegro. As we headed through Mayfair and along Oxford Street, I told him about the fuss the day before and how I meant to prove I wasn't a total dolly bird by coming up trumps on my own. Don't try too hard, miss, said Benton. It's easy to get out of your depth. Just follow orders. That'll keep the brig happy. But that's exactly what I didn't want. I wasn't just Joe, the regimental mascot, trotted out on parade days, and I said so. Then it's a good thing I'm with you, grinned Benton, as we turned left onto Sago Street. Halfway up, the street was cordoned off. There were no police about, but the place looked like a bomb had hit it. Could be IRA, said Benton. But there'd been no reports of any blasts. So before he could stop me, I ducked the barrier and headed along the pavement through the debris, straight for number 17, Killebrew's Toy Hospital. Except it wasn't a hospital at all. It had an old-style shop front, or what was left of one. The windows were blown out, and there was glass all over the pavement, meaning the blast had been inside. Benton, who lingered for a second at the barrier, caught me up as I fished out the blue shift detector. It was bleeping merrily. Inside, there was fallen plaster, splintered wood, bits of broken toys and dolls. Above the counter hung a giant, dusty bear with a sign between its paws saying, With a needle, thread and glue, old friends can be good as new. Chief Surgeon Doreen Killybrew. At the back of the shop was a door marked doll surgery. There was a creaky wooden staircase beyond it, and I headed on up, ignoring Benton's warning. On the landing above was another door, half ajar, leading to a room laid out with heavy Victorian furniture. The air was musty, and the light was sepia, like an old photo. And right across the room, in the chairs, on the bed, on the sideboard, even sitting on the carpet... There were dolls. When I was small, I had an army of gonks and trolls. But even then, I thought dolls were a bit creepy. And these ones, all sitting upright, dressed in old-style clothes and bonnets, were so huddled together, so in their own world, I felt like I'd 
stumbled into their secret hiding place. I think I even said, sorry. There was an old teddy, too, with a torn ear and moth-eaten fur. It was a surprise when they didn't start moving. But they were watching. I was certain of that. I think we should go, said Benton quietly. And I wasn't going to argue. We turned to get out, but someone was blocking the stairs. You! What do you want? I think she was as surprised as we were. It is Mrs Killybrew, isn't it? I said, trying not to panic. Have you brought the tablet? I know you took it, you and the doctor. Where is he? He's not here, I said. This is Sergeant Benton. We work together. But she just glared. She was so intense. You know, really driven. The military. Typical. More instruments of the morally bankrupt state. I grinned. You wouldn't say that if you saw him in action. Poor old Benton looked embarrassed and asked, What happened to your shop, ma'am? Was it a bomb? Mrs Killybrew glanced back down the stairs. It might as well be, when it happens. Sorry, ma'am, you've lost me, said Benton. And I said, Hang on, are you saying the explosion hasn't happened yet? But the place is wrecked, Benton complained. The whole street shut off. Well, I wouldn't expect you to understand that. Violent events can throw ripples in all directions, even back through time. Oh, right, I said, trying to sound knowledgeable. Retrocausation. Effects before their cause. It's the sort of time jazz the doctor's always on about. Benton was completely lost, but Mrs Killebrew looked impressed. Or so I thought. The doctor? Oh, yes, if anyone understands, it'll be him. She gave a shudder and glanced past us at the open door. What's she saying? said Benton. I didn't know. I had this feeling it might not be her talking at all. Tell the doctor we need the tablet. Make him bring it. But that was definitely her. Why? I said, isn't that what killed the professor too? That obviously exasperated her, and she waved us back upstairs. Go up, go on, go inside. You'll soon see why. So against our better judgment, up we went again, back into the doll's dormitory. They sat around us like an expectant audience watching with those hard, painted eyes. Well, I said, and a look of despair came over Mrs Killebrew's face. She needs your help. She has to get home. She's been trapped here too long. And she pointed across the room. Alone in a corner sat a sad-looking doll with wispy red hair and a dress of faded grey lace. Her pale china face was mottled and broken by dark brown cracks. But it's just a toy, said Benton. Mum, 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 Poor, poor Hannah. How she so needs to get home. Send me home, she says. And the tablet. You must bring the tablet. I nodded. I will. I promise. And at that moment, 
The doll flickered with a soft blue light. Mrs. Killybrew buckled as if something had hit her. She glowered accusingly at us. They're coming! It's too late! You brought them here! But before we could stop her, Mrs. Killybrew slammed the door and crouched in front of the doll in the corner. Blue light flared round Hannah. She was all crackling energy, building power like the tablet at the museum. The weird, backward-burning flames were dragging tendrils of smoke in, out of the air. If we don't control the energy flare, the retrievers will pick up the scent. It's going to explode, shouted Benton, and he tugged at the door, but it was shut tight. And now, every other doll in the room had caught the blue glow. Every china head turned to stare at us, one by one. They leaned forward, hand over hand, crawling towards us. Stop them! I yelled. But Mrs. K took no notice. In a frenzy, Benton set his shoulder to the door. Tiny china fingers were clawing at my ankles and I kicked out for all I was worth. The door splintered open and Benton pushed me through just as a wave of dolls engulfed him. Run, Joe! He shouted. Help's on the way! I clattered down the stairs, across the wreck shop, and out into the street. And I was looking along the gun barrels of most of Unit's armed response squad. The street was full of them. Benton must have radioed in our location on arrival. Miss Grant! yelled the brigadier. Get out of the firing line! Get down! I shouted, ducking towards him. It's going to explode! And there was the doctor, too. Joe, are you all right? It's Sergeant Benton. He's inside. Those doll things are attacking him. What? The brigadier unholstered his pistol and started towards the shop. Lethbridge Stewart, come back, shouted the doctor. But he'd already stopped in his tracks. For one moment, we all saw the brigadier, another brigadier, standing inside the shop, staring back at us. And then he was gone. Time inversion, muttered the doctor. It's a tablet, isn't it? I said. I promised I'd return it to Mrs. Killebrew. The doctor looked horrified. She knows I've got it. And then the dogs came out of nowhere, glowing blue, running backwards across the street. One dropped something from its mouth onto the pavement. A little white doll-sized arm. What the devil? The brig aimed a couple of pot shots as the dogs vanished backwards into the shop. The little arm, all by itself, flew up off the ground and in through the shop window. Around us, the air was thickening with smoke. Debris was starting to lift off the street. Brigadier, get down, yelled the doctor. Get down, all of you. The explosion's in reverse time. It hasn't happened yet. What nonsense, snapped the brig. Benton's in trouble. Above us, the hospital's broken windows were lined with dolls staring down. The place was about to unexplode. I started to run. I didn't care about the doctor shouting or the brigadier running after me. I shouldn't have left the sergeant behind. I had to find him. I reached the door 
ducked in through the backward smoke and the building imploded around me. my mouth like we were doing a no point turn in Bessie. Then all the debris that was flying in on us the glass and the broken wood all went into reverse and blew out again. There we were me and the brigadier standing unhurt inside the toy hospital with the windows still broken and things smoking all round us. We stood transfixed watching ourselves the brig and me run back through the forward smoke, out of the door, back onto the street, where the squad was still in position. At first I thought it was the smoke, but the light outside was tinged with blue, and the squad were moving backwards too. Time's in reverse, I said. The brigadier looked confused and angry. If this is one of the doctor's games... There was a clatter from the stairs at the back of the shop. Benton, his jacket torn, staggered through the door. Sir, the dolls! I had to fight them off. I don't think they're following. Dolls? snapped the brig. What are you talking about, Benton? The dolls upstairs, sir. He held up the severed arm of a china doll. They're alive! But before the brig could react, those three massive hound dogs, no longer blue, came bounding out of nowhere. Now we were in their time stream, going forwards against the backflow of the world outside. What the blazes? The brig raised his gun. No, sir, I hissed. Don't move. As the sightless dogs snuffled round us, I could hear the blue shift device bleeping away in my pocket. They started to growl, moving in on me, baring their yellow teeth. Hey! shouted Benton, waving the doll's arm in the air. Fetch! He chucked it through the broken window, and they must have caught its scent because they belted after it onto the street. Outside, the reverse brigadier raised his gun and then Benton thunked into me like a scrum half, knocking me clear as bullets cracked back out of the woodwork, flying home to the brigadier's gun. The sergeant yelled and grabbed at his arm. Blood was seeping through his shirt where he'd caught one of the backward shots. Our brigadier stepped out into full view, framed in the window, and for a moment he met the stare of his time-mirrored image outside, two brigadiers passing in the night. Then he turned to pull Benton up against the counter out of sight. Miss Grant, he called, but I wasn't listening. I could see the doctor out there. I was sure if I reached him, I ran for the door, nearly colliding with myself, running him backwards five minutes before. Then I stepped out into the world of retro time. Everything flickered blue, 
The squad was already backing out of their positions, and I was so busy dodging the reversing vehicles, I couldn't reach the doctor. Finally, I saw Bessie and ran towards her. Doctor! I called, but with a snarl, the old car started backing straight at me. A hand grabbed my arm, pulling me out of its path. The brigadier and I stared as the doctor swished past, speeding away backwards along the deserted Sago Street. Doctor! I called again, but we were on our own. For a moment, the brig looked utterly confounded. They don't see us, he muttered. We can see them. Why can't they see us? Don't know, sir, I said. Maybe they're not expecting to see us. Then his usual determination kicked in. Inside, Miss Grant, now! Benton was still propped against the counter. I'm all right, sir, he said without being asked. But his arm was wet with blood. While I set about binding his wound, the brig tried to raise Unit HQ or anyone on his radio, but the network was dead. We can't stay here, he said. Those dogs could be back any minute. Or the dolls, muttered the sergeant. The brig crouched beside him. Benton, we're going to get you back to HQ. How far can you walk? That woman, said Benton. Mrs. Killawatt. Killy Brew, I said. That's her, the bangly one. She's still up there. Doreen Killy Brew, complained the brig. A wretched woman was on the phone to us earlier, complaining the doctor had stolen something of hers. We heard a sudden movement at the back of the shop. Right, let's see what she has to say for herself. The brig headed for the door, but instead of Mrs. K, through it came Sergeant Benton and me, just like 15 minutes before, but going backwards. Sir, don't touch them! Us! Them! I called. Thank goodness, the brigadier just stood and stared. It was freaky, like watching a rewinding 3D video as we, they, searched the shop and disappeared onto the street into our past I thought my hair looked a mess I glanced down at my watch and it was ticking backwards then the brigadier was off through the back up the stairs careful sir Benton struggled up and we were after him the door to the dolls room was whole again and inside the dolls were clustered round like before but on the floor in the dark corner sat Mrs Killebrew tightly clutching the little doll, Hannah, to her. That's Hannah with two capitals, one at each end for she who sees both ways. Mrs K was talking, but I'm certain it was the doll's voice. You didn't bring the tablet. I'm sorry, I said, feeling awful for letting her down. You promised. Yes, I said, I'm sorry. Never mind, it's too late now. "'Madam,' interrupted the brigadier, "'Lethbridge Stewart, we spoke earlier.' "'And you've come empty-handed, too.' "'We need to know what's happening, madam.' "'I'm trapped. What did you think? "'And now you're trapped with me.' Two of the dolls scrambled at the door, slamming it shut. "'The brig and the wounded sergeant exchanged glances, ready for a fight. "'Typical. Always ready to assert your male bullying stereotypes.' The last resort of the fascist. 
That was Mrs. K talking, wasn't it? So who is Hannah? I said. I'm an observer, a social historian. I come from an earth that runs side by side with yours. But in the opposite direction, I said, thinking she'd be impressed. I suppose the doctor told you that. How he loves to trumpet his isolation and loneliness. But what does he know? My mind's here, certainly. I watch. I make links. I form fruitless theories. But as for my body, that's a world away. I projected my mind across the gulf to study your back-running earth. Sometimes it's close, no more than a crack between counter-flowing worlds. And sometimes it's a chasm, cold and deep with madness. And that was when my lifeline tore apart. Your lifeline? I was cut adrift. The tablet, my contact with home, was stolen. That blasted thing the doctor was throwing unit money at, complained the brig. I'm sorry I didn't bring it with me. I was left spiralling backwards through an alien time. What could I do? I clung to the first stable thing I could reach. Mama! Mama! To Hannah! She'd clung to the doll! I can't move. The others move for me. I can barely see. Yet Doreen Killebrew, selfless person that she is, gives me her eyes. It's a hope. That's all I ask. The brigadier was getting impatient. Mrs. Killebrew, Panna, whoever you are, what about those dogs? Are they a danger? And all the dolls moved restlessly. They'll hunt me down till they can drag me home. That's why they were sent. I didn't understand. Isn't home what you want, I said. But she stayed silent. Right announced the brig, as if it was a Monday morning briefing. As I see it, we're stuck in some sort of backwards time flow, and we'd better get out before we all disappear up our own birthdays. This is the doctor's sort of stuff, so the sooner we get back to Unit HQ, the better. And since that's where your tablet thing is, madam, Mrs... You'd better come with us. But can we do that, sir? asked Benton. Get across town if the time's all wrong, I mean. You've got a car, haven't you, Sergeant? Whenever the doctor says this is just the sort of thing unit was set up for. Moral fibre and a level head. That's what'll see us through. I caught Mrs Killebrew's raised eyebrow, but she didn't say a word. Still clutching the Hannah doll, she stood, and after a last long look at the dolls, she followed us down onto the empty street. Of course, in reverse time, Benton's car wouldn't start. I could have told them that, so it was decided that we'd have to walk. Benton insisted he was fine and struggled on without complaining, and Doreen Killebrew walked beside me, holding Hannah tight in a knitted shoulder bag. The brig had it all worked out like a route march. Stick to the side streets, that was the plan. But of course, 
It didn't turn out that way. By then, we were back to mid-morning, and it was like the dodgems on the streets. People and cars going backwards never slowed down or look where they've already been. Don't even ask the number of people who I saw looking confused before I bumped into them. There! Did you hear? It's them! We're sitting ducks out in the open, muttered the brig. We're more chance of losing them in a crowd. So we headed for Oxford Street, where the Saturday shoppers were out in force, all in reverse. I started to feel like a football, kicked from player to player with no sight of a goal. I kept thinking, as we slid back in time, that we were getting further and further away from any hope of rescue. Where was the doctor? He'd know what to do. And why did Mike have to be duty officer for the day, stuck in his office at HQ, dunking ginger biscuits in his own tea when it should have been in mine? We soon learned to walk with groups of people going backwards in our direction. But then they'd stop at a window and there'd be another collision. Keep up, Miss Grant, the brig kept snapping. But all those boutiques and shoe shops were distracting. Look at those groovy platform boots, I said to Mrs. Killebrew. But she just muttered that I was caught in the shackles of the petty bourgeois consumer society. But I like them, I said. We'd been ducking in and out of shops and had got as far as Oxford Circus when we saw a retriever hunting through the crowds on the far side of the street. Don't move, hissed the brig. He raised his pistol, but the crowds were busy. He couldn't take a shot there. And then the dog froze, sniffed at the air, and threw up its head to bark to the others. It turned its head and started towards us. Run! yelled the brigadier. And as we ran, a number eight bus cut backwards across the dog's path. On here! The brig grabbed Mrs. K and threw her onto the bus's platform. I scrambled on after her, followed by Benton and the brig himself. We were moving, and luckily the conductor was upstairs. But buses don't do speed, and the dog was keeping pace, leaping and snapping at Benton's hush puppies as he kicked out at the brute. As we slowed for the next bus stop, it grabbed his trouser leg and started dragging itself on board. As we struggled to hang on to the sergeant, Mrs. K landed a hefty blow to the dog's head with a rolled-up copy of the socialist worker. Yes! It fell back with a yelp, staggered on the road trying to regain its balance, and vanished under a taxi speeding backwards in the other direction. At the stop, we jostled through passengers to get off again. Benton was pale with loss of blood, and Mrs. K, clutching the bag with Hannah, looked exhausted. We turned down a side street and along a deserted mews towards Mayfair. Halfway along, a dog blocked our path, and behind us there was another, teeth bared and growling as it advanced. The brig emptied his pistol at the dogs, but they hardly blanched. They just edged closer. Get behind me, you two, he ordered me and Mrs. Killebrew. Sergeant, ready to make a fight of this? And Benton, who could barely raise his head, tried to stand forward. The brigadier reversed his gun to use as a club. Right, let's make this quick. He eyed the dogs grimly, willing them to move in. That won't be necessary, brigadier. A sudden warm breeze blew at us. 
out of a crack of light in the air, reached an arm, sleeved in red velvet, and took the gun. Doctor! I gasped as the rest of him stepped out of nowhere. For a second, the dogs faltered. The doctor turned to me with that magical, quizzical twinkle of his. Joe, my blue shift detector, please. I was so relieved to see him. I fumbled into my bag and passed over the little box. It was already beeping. He held it out, waving it to and fro at the dogs. Here we are, old chaps. Is this what you're after? One of the dogs moved forward, sniffing at the detector. That's right. There's a good boy. And then it lunged, snapping at the doctor's hand. The device slipped from his fingers as with one swift karate blow he sent the dog flying. But it was up again at once. I scooped up the device and held it out, remembering what Benton had done earlier. Here we are. Here. And the dogs turned towards me. Joe, called the doctor. Drop it now. But I lifted the detector and threw it as hard as I could straight into the crack of light. No! yelled the doctor. Too late. Both dogs leapt after the device, vanishing into the crack. And the air fizzed shut behind them. Well done, Miss Grant, declared the brigadier. But the doctor was furious. Joe, how could you? Don't you ever listen? But she saved us, sir, said Benton. I couldn't work out what I'd done wrong. I was trying to help. I said, but he turned glumly away, watching a flock of starlings fly backwards overhead. Yes. Yes, of course you were. How did you get here? The doctor turned to study Mrs. Killebrew. I reversed the principles of your linking tablet to find the signal of my own detector. My tablet? Like opening a side door on the passage of time. Then where is it? I need it back now. I have it, but I think I should hang on to it for a bit longer. He smiled, but she gave him a look that could have fried bacon. That's very clever, Doctor, interrupted the brigadier. But can we please go back now? Ah, well, that's another matter. You see, now we no longer have the detector, that bridge is closed to us. I knew what he meant. We were trapped... And it was all my fault. Oh, Doctor, I'm sorry, I said. Not to worry, Joe. They'll find another way. But his smile wasn't very convincing. Of course, backwards or forwards, the brig was determined to get Benton back to HQ. Fine, said the Doctor. But stay out of sight. Those retrievers will soon pick up the scent again. And don't try talking to yourself either. With enough temporal paradoxes round here as it is. The brig seemed unsure whether to argue or salute. And Lethbridge Stewart, meet us yesterday evening at the National Museum. Our best bet is to wait there for the time when all this started. The brig nodded grimly, and then he and Benton set off along the street. Mrs. Killebrew slumped down on the pavement, clutching the bag containing Hannah to her like a hot water bottle. What are you planning, Doctor? We can't go back to the museum. It's not safe. The Doctor sat next to her, his legs in the gutter. 
You know, you look all in, my dear, he said. When did you last eat? He cupped her arm gently, but she pulled away. I wish he hadn't mentioned food. I'd been going out with Mike Yates that night. Prawn cocktail, steak Diane, black forest gatto, and then on to a club, not the museum. The museum was where I'd seen myself, lying on the floor like a crumpled old carpet. I'd been putting it out of my head, but now we were heading straight back there. The doctor frowned. Who am I really talking to? Are you Mrs. Killebrew? Or is she just someone you go about in like an old cardigan? Mrs. K clutched the knitted bag more tightly than ever. I'm an observer. Observing what? He said, and she almost managed to smile. Your backwards world, where your past is my future. Or it was till now. That's what I'm studying. So, you're a future historian. And what about Mrs. Killebrew? How does she feel? None of your business. We have an agreement. Forgive me, isn't that illegal or immoral? Doctor, I interrupted. Hannah's lost and alone. She needs help. But he went on. Look at Mrs. Killebrew. You're running her into the ground. Good grief. How long can anyone endure being chased by a pack of parallel Baskervilles? So what are you really here for? I'm studying this Earth's first proper contact with alien life. The doctor sighed. Well, I suppose I can understand that. At this point in time, it feels as if half the galaxy is queuing up to invade. Like most Fridays, I thought... But Doreen Kay shook her head. The man's an idiot. I almost ducked at that one. I beg your pardon, madam, he said. I don't mean them. Not the hordes of imperialist, land-greedy, slave-driving aliens who regularly try to annex this wretched world. I mean you. Me? He went bright pink, either with indignation or embarrassment. Of course, you. The one common factor in Earth's history that continuously sees off all disasters. You came to study me? He spluttered. God, grief, I hardly know what to say. That's very flattering, of course. But a bit less of the common, thank you. I have someone here to talk to you, Doctor. Her body slumped like a dropped puppet... And the other voice started, Doreen's real voice. Doctor, it was Harold Sanders who found the tablet. That selfish old man tried to keep it for himself. He wouldn't give it back, so Hannah outstayed her allotted time in this world. And now the authorities are hunting her, and if you don't return that tablet, she can never get home. And neither can we, I thought... The doctor was looking distinctly uncomfortable. Miss Killebrew, Dory. Mrs. Killebrew. Yes, of course. He produced a bundle wrapped in a white hanky. I have your tablet here, at least what's left of it. Inside were the shards of the broken glass tablet. It exploded in Professor Sanders' office. 
It still has properties, but not half as strong as when it was intact. But Doreen turned away, shaking her head. Then the retrievers will take her. She has no hope. The doctor was tapping his finger to his lips. But we're going backwards in time. So tomorrow, yesterday at the museum, there'll be a moment when this tablet implodes back together again. And that's the point when we can try to get you home. We waited. I remember a newspaper blowing in reverse along the street as if it was alive. If I must, I must. She tried to stand, but the effort was too much. The doctor caught her as she keeled over. It was obvious she couldn't go on. And so finally, I knew what I had to do. I'll get you there, I said. I'll be your eyes and ears. Give me the doll. No, Joe, you can't do that, insisted the doctor. But I must, I said. After all, it's only for a while. I was very quiet and determined, and Doreen didn't resist as I lifted Hannah out of the bag and held her tightly. Mama, Mama. The doll's painted eyes batted at me, and I went numb all over. It wasn't what I'd expected. I mean, not like that time the master hypnotized me. I don't really remember that at all. But this clamped round me like a sort of vice. All the time, I knew what was happening, but I couldn't control it or myself. Stop struggling. We're back to puppets again. But that's what it was like, someone else working my strings. Joe, the doctor said, leaning in. Are you all right? And I heard myself say, Fine, doctor. I'm fine, really. Doctor looked at me hard, like he was checking through a window but couldn't see in properly. And I kept quiet because I'd promised I'd help. Anyway, it was only for a while, wasn't it? It was before eight, heading back to half past seven in the morning, again. Walking was easier. There were less people and still no sign of the dogs. The doctor decided to risk eating backward food and ducked into a cafe on Baker Street, picking up some bacon sarnies before the cook could unmake them and leaving some of my money. Doreen Kay wanted to go home to her shop, but the doctor said that was asking for trouble. So we shacked up for the night on the bandstand by the lake in Regent's Park and watched the rising sun sink backwards through the trees. Wrapped in the doctor's cape... I was soon asleep, being swept away by the backward crowds on Oxford Street. And then I was lying on the floor of the professor's office, unable to move while glowing dolls threw lumps of black forest ghetto to the dogs. When I woke, it was dark, but Hannah in my body was still deep in conversation with the doctor. I couldn't move, but I could feel how angry she was getting. No! The doctor protested. I told you I'm flattered, but I don't give interviews. How disappointing, Doctor. I understood you fought the system, but now I meet you, you seem to be part of it. Just another patronising male. You don't seem like an alien at all. I'm sorry for your wasted journey, he said. We're doing our best to get you home. <laughs> We both are trapped on this 
miserable world. Actually, for all their quirks, I'm quite fond of the people here. People as selfless as Mrs. Killibrew. Killibrew? <laughs> as a study, she's mildly diverting, but to live with, narrow, tedious. Hannah, your knowledge of my future is clearly extensive. So tell me, how much longer must I endure my exile? I knew it. You want my tablet for yourself, but you'll never escape that way. Give it back now. Hannah, you harm one hair on Joe's head. And after that, the two of them sat sulking in silence until in the west, towards Paddington, the sky lightened and the setting sun began to rise. We were back to Friday again. The week with two Fridays. And of course there'd been no dogs. They'd been waiting for us where we first saw them. At the museum. In the professor's office. I began to feel as if we had no future at all. Like the doctor was hurtling us over a cliff. And how's Joe? He said suddenly. I hope we didn't keep you awake. I tried to look at him. But my eyes only went the way she wanted them to go. And all she did was stare at the geese, swimming backwards, mirrored in the lake. Fine, Doctor. I'm fine. Really. Look at him, I thought. Let him see me. But it was no good. Where's Mrs Killebrew? said the Doctor, staring round. But she was gone. Back home, he guessed. Exhausted or rejected, I suppose. There's loyalty for you. So, it was down to the three of us. It was seven in the evening, but by the time we reached the museum, it was nearer six. The summoned police were already there. Not yet, said the doctor, as we watched the other me and him walking backwards from Bessie inside for our interrogation. And then, after another long wait... The retro police came running out of the building and screeched away in reverse with their sirens wailing. In we go! And the doctor was heading through the gates. I would have turned back there and then, but there was no stopping Hannah. She was straight in after the doctor, straight into the retriever's trap. They caught us in the museum lobby, bounding out amongst the exhibits, snapping and snarling. The doctor grabbed a medieval pike off the wall and pushed Hannah and me behind him. But fight as he could, he was no match for two tracker dogs bred to hunt and kill. With concerted attacks on both sides, they were driving us into a corner. I thought that was it. No one would see me again, dead or alive. I'd be buried in the past, sinking back in time forever. The museum doors crashed open and a huge shape struggled in. Mrs. Killebrew was there, hauling the giant bear from the toy hospital. So massive and gruff, you'd never dare call him Teddy. Hannah, I brought help. Hannah laughed and sent out her will. The bear's head glimmered and lifted. The furry monster lurched forward with a growl and the dogs, sensing it, turned snarling. One clamped onto its arm but was hurled bone-crunchingly against the wall. The 
second darted back and forth, snapping frantically. It tore at the bear's leg and fell back, spitting as sawdust began to bleed down. The bear caught it between its velvet paws and threw it across the lobby, smashing into the glass cases. But the first was on it again, and then the second. They were built to hunt, and soon the bear was grounded, struggling as they tore it to furry shreds. Still spitting, the dogs turned and, ignoring us, ran for the stairs. Hannah turned my head and I saw that the doctor had gone, already homing on the professor's office. It was him they were after. Nearly time now. The doctor had vanished completely and everything was on rewind. Reality was checking itself in and ticking itself off. Harold Sanders was there, slumped on his desk... And so was I. The reverse me and the reverse doctor, snuffled at by the dogs before they vanished through the wall the way they'd first come. Like a bad dream, I saw the reverse Mrs. Killebrew running in backwards with her arms full of dolls. As the toys clambered back up the shelves, the reverse doctor was checking the professor's pulse and Mrs. K was searching the room, arguing, shaking the professor. I will have it. And as all this played out, Hannah was edging me forward, reaching to grab the tablet from under the old man's body. No, I said, too soon. I will have it. I won't let you. But you're going back instead of me, catching a lift home on my tablet. I'm staying here safe in your body. Now let go. No! I was fighting her inside my head for control of my body. I won't! I won't! This is me, not you! And I wouldn't let go. Not of home, or of life, or the doctor. It was like being torn in two... And I gave this almighty push. Get out! Then I'll go where I'm welcome. Killibrew? Yeah, you're needed. Now! I was thrown to the floor, unable to move as Doreen Killibrew dutifully lifted the bag containing Hannah away from me, clutching it to herself. I lay there, face on the lino, as if I was dead, knowing that the reverse Joe was staring down at me in shock. Then the reverse Mrs. K ran backwards out of the room, followed by the reverse me, and the reverse doctor clambered awkwardly down on the floor. I knew this was the moment and started to drag myself up. The tablet was going to implode. Get down! yelled a voice. It was the brigadier, pushing Doreen to the ground and shielding me with his own body as a blaze of white light flooded the room. As the retro explosion dwindled in like a closing flower, the reverse doctor lifted impossibly up from his sprawl on the ground and stumbled backwards out into the passage. The shape which he tripped on, saving him from the blast, withdrew its elegant foot and stood up. It was the doctor... My forward-going doctor. But we were still going backwards. Professor Sanders was standing resurrected at his desk, studying the contents of his biscuit tin, oblivious to the showdown all round him. The tablet will be whole again. It must be. Doreen Killebrew, driven by Hannah, reached desperately for the tin and faltered. It's still broken. What happened? 
What have you done? The doctor pulled the newly restored tablet out of his pocket. Here it is, Hannah, in safekeeping. I switched it for the fragments I brought back from the future. It's mine. Give it to me. I want to go home. Why should I? said the doctor. Haven't you done enough harm to Joe and Mrs. Killebrew? Out of the wall came the dogs, but they paused, listening, scenting the confrontation. And opposite them, the dolls clung to the walls, watching like the cherubs you see in paintings. You selfish, selfish man. You wanted for yourself to escape your prison. Doctor, is that true? snapped the brigadier. Remember your duties here. Doctor smiled. You mean like filling in tax returns? Hardly rewarding, is it? But you can't, Doctor. I said, you can't leave us. Can't I? He held up the tablet, looking from dolls to dogs. No, of course I can't. So, who shall it be? <gasps> Doreen Killebrew clutched at her stomach. She sat down with an expression of utter abandonment. Her woolen bag shuffled, and out of it crawled the sad, crack-faced Hannah doll. Thank you, Doreen Killebrew. Goodbye. Be yourself again. Now, Doctor, give me the tablet. Who's to decide, eh? said the Doctor. He turned the tablet in his hands, teasing one side and then the other back and forth before passing it to me. Me? Joe, you're the one here with the most future. You choose. How could I decide? I'm the world's greatest procrastinator. I didn't know. But every eye was on me, and in my hand... Tablet started to flicker with a red-blue glow. Give it to me! Me! Hurry up, Joe, said the doctor. The past's catching up with us. And I could hear myself and the doctor coming back along the corridor. And then I knew at last. Make the future yourselves, I said. And I threw the tablet in the air. Both the doll and the dogs leapt for the device. But as they all collided, time outrounded us, fusing and cancelling itself out in a blistering dazzle of white. With a rush, time's wave lifted us on its crest. A new, proper Friday and Saturday sluiced back under us, going forwards. Not much happening in no time at all. And then I was back in the lab at HQ, and my watch was ticking forwards, not backwards. On the desk sat the doctor's tax return, duly filled in and complete. And there were strange noises coming from inside the TARDIS. Thirty-five years on, and Make the Future Yourselves is one of Cliff's cheesiest sound bites. But I never told him where his manager got it from. And there were the boots I'd bought in Oxford Street. Bright red with six-inch heels. The girls are full. Thanks.
and I put them on and looked in the mirror just to see who else might be watching. And then Mike was there, grinning. Come on, Jemima, he said. I'm taking you out to dinner. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. I once knew a warrior. His name was the Doctor. I only once saw him truly afraid. The TARDIS was burning. Flames rose from the wooden table in the middle of the room and fanned outwards. Doctor, why are you afraid? For a moment he seemed about to protest, but then he sighed and his voice lowered almost to a whisper, looked into my eyes. A long time ago, I saw a whole planet burn, Leela. Civilization literally going up in smoke. <laughs> I like you, Lila. I want you to represent me at the Empathy Games. Death on an almost inconceivable scale, so huge, so inexorable that I was powerless to stop it. Why do you not 